0: Well, so many good things going on, and as Eric said, as we come to the end of the school year, we're gonna take this season to declare God's praise and to spend some time in doxology together. And to guide us for these next four weeks, we are gonna be looking at four different doxologies from the New Testament, and often, you know, we sing what has become known as the doxology. But, you know, it's not the original. It's not even close. There are so many that come right out of Scripture. But this one that we sing has become so beloved and familiar to us. And doxology simply means this. It simply means a word of praise. When you put those two Greek words together, doxa and logia, doxa, doxology, which just simply means a word of praise. And so often in Scripture, we are called into worship in the psalms and what the psalms are doing really is calling us into doxology calling us to be people of doxology so just hear this from the psalmist this morning as we think about being called to worship especially over these next four weeks being called into doxology for great is the lord and most worthy of praise let us come before him with thanksgiving declare his glory among the nations his marvelous deeds among all peoples Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. These are calls to doxology and to be people of doxology. I usually sing what we have come to call the doxology to my kids at bedtime, and lest you think it's because I'm really sanctified, it's mostly because it's the shortest song that I know. And um, with three kids who are all in three different rooms, who all like to read and pray and snuggle and sing before bed. It just takes so long. So I'm so grateful that the doxology is so brief. But some of you know that we are moving closer to church in less than two weeks. And what's happened is we've been kind of packing up our house all our kids have started sleeping in one room, which is awesome. And it's just made bedtime that much easier. Poor Jed, we took apart his bed a couple weeks ago to put it in a garage sale. And so he just had a mattress on the floor and he drug it into the bunk bedroom. So now all the kids are in one room. So not only is bedtime quicker and easier, it also means that we now have to deal with three different bedtime distraction tactics all at once, all in the same room, and my kids seem to have learned that they all save their distraction tactics till I'm singing, the last thing that I do is I try to get out the room. So I never sing in front of people, but since we are starting a series on the doxology and since it's Mother's Day, I thought I would sing to you the doxology as it sounds in our house when I'm trying to put three children to bed at once. <clears throat> I have a horrible voice, so bear with me. This is merely for illustration. Okay. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Mom! I'm so hungry. Can you get me a banana or a cheese stick or something? I cannot make it till breakfast. Praise him, all creatures here below. Mom, I'm so hot, can you get the fan? And my feet are all scratchy. Could you get some lotion and put some lotion on my feet? Because I cannot sleep. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Mom, the ice in my water melted. I cannot go to bed without ice in my water. Could you go downstairs and get some ice water? Praise Father, and some crackers. Son, can you turn the hall lights on? And holy, can you tickle my back? Ghost, will you snuggle with me? Uh, Mom, don't leave. Man. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. That's the only time you will ever hear me sing, I promise. And I know you think I'm exaggerating, but that really is what it sounds like. Every night. But as silly as that sounds, what I have loved, especially as a mom, is as we're thinking about doxology, doxology really is this mashup of things like our needs, usually more than a cheese stick or ice water, but it's a mashup of our needs and the way that God meets us in our everyday life and how he receives praise and glory as he does that. And so we see this pattern. I want to put it up here. You have this... um, that this pattern of who God is, the goodness that he gives to us and his glory is what we are gonna see repeated in scripture over and over and over again. And one of the things that's been so significant as we've pulled out these four doxologies that we're gonna look at is they get really, really specific about who God is. And about what those goods are that God provides to us in the midst of real life, in the midst of real crisis, in the midst of really messy stuff, and also how he receives glory in really specific ways. And so we are going to look at that in today's text, but throughout these next four weeks. So why don't we pray as we get into our uh, text for today? And as we pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning, I'm going to read a doxology as our prayer from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Okay, so open up to Jude if you have your Bible with you. Let me encourage you, especially um, just to bring it with you. It's super helpful. This is the second to last book of the Bible right before Revelation. And you'll see it's so short, there aren't even chapter designations. It's only verses. It's one brief letter. And we're going to begin at the end with our passage for today, which is verses 24 and 25. But do keep it open um, throughout the sermon. So Jude writes this as really the capstone of his letter to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Such an amazing word. And I hope even in that first reading, you can hear that pattern, that this is a word that's directed to God, to him who is able. And then we see this goodness, the goods, if you will, to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And then this word of glory that's also directed to God, to him be glory forever and ever. Glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we see that pattern, but helping us, it will really help us to get some context for this passage to really take hold of what Jude is promising here. So here are some things for us to know. Jude, like James, was one of Jesus' brothers. There were four uh, brothers that Jesus had. And scholars are pretty sure that Jude was not a follower of Jesus, not a disciple, while Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. It wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that Jude became a disciple, which was common for many people. And we also learn in 1 Corinthians 9 that Jude, after his conversion, actually became a traveling missionary and he took the gospel to different places. And this letter that we're reading today is a letter that he's written to one of those churches that he knew, perhaps a church that he even started. And as we're gonna see, Jude had intended to write to them about one thing, but instead he wrote about something else because he learned of a threat that was in the midst of this church. So if you look at verse 3 there of this letter, he writes this, very beginning. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So Instead to write this encouraging pastoral letter about their common faith in Christ they share, he's writing actually, to warn them about something and to call them to action. And here is why, in the next verse, "For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So what he's talking about here is a different group of traveling uh, teachers, false teachers, who have surreptitiously started to join the church's fellowship. And they were twisting the gospel. This is what they claim. They claim that since Jesus saves us by grace, that the way we live doesn't matter. They said, as long as you have the Holy Spirit, you do not need to be subject to anyone else or live with any kind of moral standard. And this heresy we read about actually in other books of the Bible as well and throughout history has come to be called antinomianism, which literally means against the law. To these people, Jesus' call to discipleship was unnecessary The Ten Commandments were irrelevant, moral restraint was unwarranted, this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ was unneeded, even though they were claiming to be followers and disciples of Jesus. And so these people, they weren't just people, they were teachers who were truly trying to win people over. They were joining in to this church's fellowship. Well, at the same time, they were joining into the immorality of the culture, sexually and otherwise, and holding both of those things. But antinomianism is this idea that freedom in Christ, that we've been given in Christ, and the law of God cannot exist together, that they are mutually exclusive. But we know that that's not true, that freedom in Christ and the law of God actually hold together. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. So Jude is writing to warn this church about these people who were perverting God's greatest gift, this gift that we receive in Christ. They were denying the full message of the gospel that when we are in Christ, we are invited in to be people who would live lives of holiness. That out of thanksgiving for this grace, that we would live a life that would honor and please God and show other people the love of God in Christ. So I was trying to imagine what it might feel like for this young church to receive this letter of warning and I would love for you to read it this week because it is a very colorful letter and Jude does not hold back. And I tried to put myself in their shoes and what I realized is almost immediately, I felt nervous. I worried that I might be one of those people who would get kind of won over and kind of snookered by this false teaching, by this pseudo-faith. You know, I know that none of us get theology completely right. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we all see through a glass dimly or darkly. And I know, even as a pastor, that some of the ways that I relate to God are skewed. I still have vestiges of works righteousness and trying to earn my favor before God instead of receiving his grace as a gift. And I found myself, as I was reading this letter, convicted of the ways that I might take Jesus' grace as license for me to be lazy and selfish and sinful, excusing my sin because I'm under grace. And so I noticed myself just feeling a little anxious about the thought of, gosh what are the things in me that jude is naming in these people but this is where this promise of this doxology the goods if you will are so amazing he says this to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and this word these verses are really a promise of salvation Jude is wanting to assure these believers that if they are in Christ, that God will not let them fall. Literally, it's translated to him who will keep you unfallen, unable to fall. Now, this doesn't mean that we won't ever stumble or sin or have bad theology or turn away from God, but that God will keep those who are in Christ from falling irreversibly from losing their salvation. If you are in Christ, he is committed to keeping you in Christ for now and forever. And I think this is an extraordinary word of grace to us. Because this same God knows that we will get things wrong, that our theology will be off, and yet he is able and he is the one who saves us from falling away from him. Not only is he able, but he's committed to keeping those who are in Christ in him. But I also wanna acknowledge that this is tricky because it certainly seems that these false teachers have fallen. And in my digging and wrestling, what I've come to understand is that this doxology, this promise is really for people who are believers, so what's unknown to me is if these false teachers once believed and now they don't. I don't think that that's possible. I think what we understand is that they never actually receive the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's what's so amazing in this letter from Jude, that even knowing that they are posing a threat, Jude says to the church, he charges them to engage these false teachers, and he says to do it with mercy to snatch them out of the fire, to save them from the air, even though he knows the sacrifice and the risk that that will be for this young church. And he says to do so resisting their influence, hating their sin, but go in mercy and share the true message of the gospel that invites us to join in with God in the work that he's doing by grace. And I think part of why this letter hit so close to home for me is that these false teachings don't sound that far off from the spiritual and cultural milieu that we live in today. It sounds oddly similar to some of the things that I think float in and out that I see come across Facebook, all these different things. Like, here are just some memes that were so easy for me to find. There are no rules, just follow your heart. You do you. Do what makes you happy. And then this one, I just makes me Sometimes it's hard to pick right from wrong. The best thing, the best thing we can do is go with our heart and hope it all goes well. I just think, oh, that is not the best thing that we can do. You know, sometimes God does move us through our gut or our instincts, but so often, as scripture says, the heart is deceitful above all things. My heart can be led by greed and envy and lust so easily. Following our heart is not the best that God has for us. But this kind of individual relativism is everywhere. And it creeps into my thinking. It creeps into our thinking. And sometimes we even embrace it. So I just want to remind us, we know this. But it's so important for us to know what God's word is. Says because the Holy Spirit will never lead us through our feelings, our heart, or any other way to do something contrary to what Jesus said and to what God's law says, as these false teachers were teaching. We studied this earlier this year, but John says this uh, Jesus said this in uh, John He said, The Spirit will glorify me. Jesus is speaking, Spirit will glorify me because it's from me that He will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It's kind of hard to understand, but what Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit gets everything that he does and says from Jesus, and Jesus gets everything that he does and says from the Father. The Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father will never contradict one another and will never call you to do something contrary to what God's word says. And not only that, but he gives us one another to remind one another of these truths when we are in vulnerable places. So this doxology is this amazing word of promise, this amazing word of salvation and hope for these people who are in a vulnerable place. But ultimately, this doxology is really about God's glory. Because here is an amazing thing, that God is actually glorified when he keeps us unfallen. When he keeps us from stumbling, he receives glory. But also there's this other promise, this other good that is in this doxology that I don't want us to miss. And that it is also to God's glory to present us without fault before God. So God himself presents us to himself without fault. And the only way that people who have hearts like mine that are deceitful, the only way that people who stumble and sin and have faulty theology and abuse God's grace can be without fault is because Jesus Christ has transferred all of his righteousness to you. And the reason that this comes here in this word of salvation is he's saying, at the very end of your life, when it's all said and done, if you are in Christ... You are presented as faultless before the Father. You are seen as equally righteous as Jesus Christ. You are covered in his righteousness before God. And not only is that to God's glory, but it is his his joy. That is an amazing gift that this God who does this work for us by his grace, that he receives glory and he receives joy by presenting us faultless before him, giving us the righteousness Of Christ. It's an amazing hope no matter what you are facing, no matter what it is that feels like it attempts to pull you away from the Lord, that if you are in Christ, God says, I will not let you fall. And we see through this letter that there are ways that we participate with God in that work of sanctification, but God is the one who affects that righteousness through what Christ has done for us. So you can hear this doxology, to him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you before his presence without fault and with great joy. To him be glory and majesty and power and authority. So not only do we want to be looking specifically at these doxologies uh, over these next four weeks, but we want to invite you to get really specific about your own doxology. So did everyone get one of those cards when you walked in? Pull that out, those little business cards. We're actually gonna ask you to write your own doxology, getting really specific about what it is in your life where you need to be reminded of something about who God is and the goodness that God provides to you. So I just wanna show you an example of one that I wrote um, for a friend of mine who was in a bike accident this week. So I was thinking about him and uh, I wrote this doxology for him God, to the one who was with me in the bike accident and provided medical care and wise surgeons when my bones were broken, I praise you for your protection and provision. A simple word of praise for a really specific situation in his life. And it looks long, but let's just see the picture of it on the card. What we want is for you to be able to write this on the card, and take it with you this week. Something about God, something about the goodness that you need in your life, and some word of praise and glory. So we're gonna give you some time. Actually, Joe's gonna come up and play some music, and we're gonna give you two or three minutes. It takes a little time, but this pattern of a word about God, a word about the goods that he has for us, and a word about his glory, Want all of you to take some time. If you don't have a card, you can just write it on your bulletin. We could even bring some to you. There's some on the back tables. But take this time to declare a word of doxology, a word of praise for you this week that you can offer to the Lord.